I was reading in Ephesians chapter 1 today, and towards the end of the chapter, something caught my eye that I want to get you to think about. It says, God has put all things under the authority of Christ, and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ, who fills all things everywhere with himself. I was prompted to read that by listening to Lectio 365 on my phone app this morning. I think some of you may use it as well, and you may have read it too. Um, where the prayer at the beginning struck me as being something that we could use right at the start of our service. It says, Father, thank you for your beautiful, multicultural, intergenerational family gathering today in so many countries. Revive and sanctify us, I pray. Make us a house of prayer for all nations and set our hearts on fire again with the good news of your gospel. And let's take a moment to ask these big prayers locally in our community. And Lord, we thank you that we are here from all erts and perts. We're here today to worship you. And we pray that our community will be blessed as we do so, that we will be a light to our generation. And we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the question I'm posing to you today is, are you thirsty? I wonder, we might be the most restless, impatient generation in history. We've got used to instant coffee, and students love pot noodles because they're quick, not nutritious, but they're quick. We all love super fast broadband that doesn't, uh, that doesn't give that wee circle that goes round and round when it's slow. We like speed. We like instant things. We're very impatient. So the last 18 months have slowed us down. They've been very frustrating. Yet with social media like Facebook, Netflix, Disney Plus, streaming services. Many people have survived, but I think that has shown how empty these pastimes are. And we end up quite dissatisfied. We think, is this it? We need to get life back. Well, we're a bit like the people Jeremiah described. Jeremiah said that the people of Israel were like broken cisterns. The, uh, the message puts it, they have Dug cisterns that leak, cisterns that are no better than sieves. You can imagine if you had a well that didn't hold water, and every time you put your bucket down, you never got enough. That's what the life was like for many people in Israel who had rejected God. And I think our life in today's world is a bit like that. Are you looking for something more? Or in the words of that film of Jack Nicholson that I really liked, thought it was very funny. It said, it, its title was, Is This As Good As It Gets? Are you thirsty? You're longing for more than the world is able to give you at the moment. This New Testament reading breaks into a story 
The Bible's full of stories, and particularly the Gospels, uh, you, you kind of race from one story to the next. And Eric's very good at using stories to tell the Gospel, because that's what Jesus did. And here, this centers around one of the main feasts in the Jewish calendar, the Feast of Tabernacles. There were three main feasts, and this one is still celebrated by Jews throughout the world today. Bear with me while I explain a bit about this, because the background is really helpful in understanding what Jesus was trying to say. His purpose was to give God thanks for the way he preserved his people in the wilderness. It was a big event. It went on for seven whole days of feasting, and on the last day, they brought a pitcher of water as they proceeded from a pool away down in the city, up the steps to the temple, and then holding it up, ready to pour out the water around the altar. The reason for this was Moses struck the rock when God told him to, when they were really thirsty in the wilderness, and the people had fresh water pouring out of the rock, which was a miracle. They were amazed at God's provision. But it was also a reminder to them that there was a promise in that, that God was going to send his Holy Spirit to pour it out in these people. So you can see what Jesus was getting at. Imagine the commotion. In this great hubbub of people and noise and shouting and dancing and pouring of water, Jesus stands up and he shouts above the crowd these verses in John 7. In effect, he's saying, you think this thing is a big deal? If you're thirsty for something more than this is giving you, you need to come to me. Now, that certainly provoked a reaction. Arguments obviously seem to have broken out as to whether or not Jesus was the Messiah. And the religious leaders were even more determined than him. But, you know, the reason I'm preaching about this is because we can unpick what Jesus said, and it's remarkably relevant to our life today. It gives us hope that life can be more than the mediocre survival that many of us have settled for. Understanding this could change your life. Let's look at what Jesus is offering here. Remember that elsewhere we read in, in Paul's writings that the word of God is not just stories, not words on a page, not just good advice. He writes to his friend Timothy that all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong with our lives. He says, it connects us with where we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. So what's Jesus saying here? Well, there's an invitation to everyone who's thirsty. This, of course, is a metaphor for life. Are you looking for something more than you have already? Do you feel there must be more to life than what you have? If you've got a restlessness in your soul, listen to it. Don't just go to the next box set of something to fill your evening. But look to Jesus for the answer. I like streaming services as well. 
And at the moment, I'm watching this BBT series, The Vigil, which you may watch tonight. And it's good. And these things are, are worth doing just to give us a bit of light relief. But they're a bit vacuous, aren't they? They don't really change anything about the way we live. So don't let these distractions around you, some of which are worth doing, but don't let them drown out the Word of God. Admit this more to life the material world that we're part of. So Jesus is offering a whole new way to live if we believe in him. We use this word believe a lot, don't we? Uh, Christians use it. Uh, religious people use it. And uh, it's more than just a new set of beliefs. It involves entering into a relationship of trust with Jesus and reorienting your life to follow him. You know how we say the Apostles' Creed sometimes in church. And it kind of just goes over your head, doesn't it? If you don't stop and think about it. I believe in Father Almighty and blah, blah, blah. But do you really? Is that just you nodding your head in agreement with a set of ideas? Because what Jesus is asking for is much more than that. Let's not dilute what the word believe means. If you go on a plane and fly, which none of us have done for a while, we trust that the pilot knows where he's going and how to fly without crashing, don't we? And that the engineers who check the engine got it right. If I go on a hike in unknown territory, I have to trust that my guide won't get me lost. That's the kind of depth the word believe. It involves a conviction that could change your life forever. Imagine John the Baptist, when Jesus comes to be baptized by him. He looks at this man, Jesus, coming towards him, looked very ordinary. And in fact, the prophet Isaiah said there was nothing out of the ordinary about Jesus' appearance. In spite of all the films that make him look so handsome, he was just an ordinary guy. But John seemed to believe that this one was the real deal, that he was the Messiah. And he shouts out, Behold, the Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world. That belief, because he had no way of proving that was right. We find out later that John begins to question it. He thinks, was that right? Is Jesus really the man? Was he really the Messiah? And he sends disciples to check and clarify that Jesus was. But his belief was that Jesus was the Lamb of God. That's the kind of thing that Jesus wants of us. So if you're thirsty, come to him and put your trust in him. And I just want to challenge many of us who've been to church for many years. I wonder if your belief goes further than reciting the Apostles' Creed or nodding your head in agreement when somebody says something that you think is right. Have you actually put your trust in the person of Jesus to forgive your sin and cleanse you and fill you with his Holy Spirit? That's what Jesus is looking for. So what's his promise? Rivers of living water will brim and spill out of the depths of anyone who believes in me this way. That's how Eugene Peterson puts it in the message. This image of fresh running water, powerful one in scripture, we read about it in Isaiah 55. 
Anyone who's thirsty, come to the waters. And even if you've no money, come and I'll satisfy your hunger and your thirst. That was a prophecy about Jesus, which Jesus fulfilled this passage. And, and the people who heard them would know fine all these Old Testament references where God said, come to me and I will satisfy your thirst. And of course, Jews lived in a dry desert land. And remember, in Israel, we walked along these water courses that we call wadis. And they were actually bone dry, not a drop of water in them. But I was told that in the rainy season, they became torrents where the, the running water, the living water, came flowing down, and refreshed the land and allowed the crops to grow. And the fields that we saw brown and empty came alive with wildflowers and grain. And that is the message that Jesus was giving. If you're looking for living water, come to me. And it will flow out of you and create life wherever you go. In Ezekiel 47, there's a prophecy about a new temple. I don't really understand what most of it's about, but one of the things that it describes is water flowing out of this temple which was not a real temple, but was, was a symbol of the presence of God. Where God is, there is living water in a stream that comes out to flood the land and to have trees growing with leaves that are for the healing of the nations. And in Revelation 22, we read about the new city of God, the new Jerusalem, where the presence of God is the light that lights everything. And that this a river flows out from that city to refresh the whole of the earth. And the, um, and the waters give life. So that is the picture of living water in the Bible. It's interesting that John felt he had to explain what Jesus meant. And he said, in case you haven't got it, what Jesus meant was that if you believe in him, the Holy Spirit will live in you and will produce this living water that floats out from you to the world around you. And of course, Jesus, by contrast, had spoken about the religious leaders of his day who looked very pious and they believed in lots of stuff. They believed in all the Old Testament Torah, all the Jewish scriptures. But they did not have life within them. And he said, on the outside, they were like whitewashed tombs that had decay and rottenness and horrible smells inside. But the outside looked white and lovely. But there was no flowing water coming out from them because their belief was not a deep-rooted belief in the God who gives his living water. So what Jesus is offering is something authentic, where the life inside spills out to bring life to others. Remember, he also met a woman at a well that we read about it earlier in chapter 4 in John's Gospel. And he said to her, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty. It becomes a fresh 
bubbling spring within them, giving eternal life. What's this eternal life? It's certainly not high in the sky when we die, like the communists used to say. It's something here and now. It's not just Jesus will take me to heaven when I die and I'll hang on by my fingernails until I get there. No, no, it's more than that. Jesus described it as life to the full in John chapter 10. And in chapter 17, a bit later, he says, now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, Jesus Christ. So all that's very well, but it's a bit airy-fairy, isn't it? So, okay, what, what do you mean? What is this living water, this stuff that comes from me when I'm full of the Holy Spirit to influence the world around me? Well, Paul enlarges on this in a passage that you probably know really well in Galatians 5, where he says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's a bit of a tall order, isn't it? But you see, it's not that we have to grit our teeth and do it. It's that the Holy Spirit produces in us qualities that bless those around us. Or another thing I love is a picture that Paul gives in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, where it says, our lives are a Christ-like fragrance rising up to God. You know how they used to say, if you're trying to sell your house, fill it full of fragrance. The smell of fresh coffee, fresh bread just baked, to make people feel that this is a home that is lovely to be in. Well, Paul said that when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, what comes out of us is like the fragrance of Jesus or like the fruit of the Spirit. You got it? Is that what flows out of you? Or is there a bit of bitterness and resentment and unforgiveness and carping and backbiting, impatience? We've all got a bit of that, haven't we? God wants to change us, but from the inside out, not like the whitewashed tombs of the religious leaders in Jesus' day, but like vessels pour out the loving presence. Have you heard of Corrie Ten Boom? I've just recently listened to the audio book of The Hiding Place that she wrote. I've been walking the dog, actually. I'd recommend audiobooks when you walk your dog. If you don't want to pray around the streets, listen to a decent audiobook. It's good. He describes her sister, Betsy, as being the kind of person whose fragrance filled a room, metaphorically. And she kept saying, give thanks in all circumstances. And she described how in a concentration camp, when Betsy was present in the room, everybody else felt different because she brought the presence of Jesus. Corrie herself struggled a bit with that. And she said that right at the end, when she was released and she was going around telling a story, she went to a church in Germany 
where a man came up to shake her hand. And she recognised that he had been one of the prison guards who had maltreated her when she was in a concentration camp. She said, shaking his hand was the hardest thing I ever did. But it was the Holy Spirit in me that allowed me to put out my hand and shake his. So that's an example of the living water that flows out from the heart of those of us who believe in Jesus. Is your life like that? Do you walk through life bringing joy and life to others? As the Holy Spirit lives through you, have you ever asked the Holy Spirit to come and dwell in your heart because your belief is in Jesus Christ who gave you that promise that the Holy Spirit would live there? Jesus doesn't mean you should beat yourself up if you don't fit this. That's not really what I'm talking about. I'm not trying to load guilt on you or you don't do. But Jesus wants you to live in relationship with him so that what comes out of you is not what was in you before, but what the Holy Spirit has put in you. And rely on the Spirit to change you from inside. People will notice. And we've talked about how the church needs to be in the community. That's how we do it. We build relationships with people on a basis of love. Well, what are the fruits of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Do your neighbours know you to be like that? The other pictures Jesus gives are that we are light, the darkness. We're salt in a world that's full of decay. This is one of the powerful. We are living water to influence the world around us, and chiefly, first of all, people we live with and the people who live in our city. But we're all a work in progress, aren't we? Lord, I pray that you'll bless these words to us and burn them into our hearts. Fill us with joy at your promise, we pray. Amen. I want to read you a couple of verses again from Ephesians, just as we close, just to reassure you. It says, chapter 2, God has saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. And here is the bit that gives me hope. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Father God, we thank you for your word, for the promise of your word that we can be different, not because we're good, but because you live in us. And today we just want to pray your blessing of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit on all of us as we leave this digital service. To smile at neighbours again, to walk the streets, to bring your presence to this community in which we live. We ask your blessing in Jesus' name. 
Amen.